Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 118, Writing for a Brand, an interview with Nancy Nagel, coming to you on Thursday, December 27th, 2018. This is the last episode of the year. Oh, very exciting. I don't know how you feel about New Year's, but I feel like a sense of excitement and kind of a little bit of awe, like, ooh, you have no idea what's going to happen next. Um, I also feel like I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> like, how did the last 12 months go? I don't take as much time as I want to to sit down and really reflect. So maybe that's something that we can both do this week before the new year officially hits and gets into gear. What have we done? What have we accomplished? You know, my very first episode of this podcast, episode number one, I believe that that is the one that I talked about, your done journal. So I have a journal, you know, a blank book. Everybody gives you tons of blank books because you're a writer, right? I have one where I finally decided that what I needed to write down was everything I actually accomplished on any given day having to do with my writing career. So it might be word count, it might have to do with um, blog posts, might have to do with money earned or money spent, just everything that kind of uh, encapsulates what I got done that day, that week, etc. And it started making me realize when I would go back over that, okay, um, so I thought this year was really going to suck because... This happened in 2014. My husband got in a motorcycle accident in March, and I just felt like everything fell apart after that. I was a uh, caretaker for a long time. I felt like nothing really got done because all I was doing was focused on taking care of my husband. But then I looked back through my done journal, and I was like, somehow... Because I had signed the contracts before the accident, literally, I think like the week before or the month before, um, I had managed to still get out two audiobooks that year and then a whole bunch of other things and blah, blah, blah. I forget all the different things that happened. But I was like, I don't understand how that happened because my days were a blur and emotionally I felt kind of wrecked. And yet looking back, see, this is a good reason for looking back. You can say to yourself, okay, you know what? I made some really good progress on this or that. And yes, you know, maybe this and this need a little bit more work next year, but it'll make you feel a whole lot better about yourself than what you might be feeling on the bottom of a wine bottle <laughs> on January 1st going, oh my gosh, I suck. Why do I do this at all? So, Let's both remember, let's look back on this last year and really see what we've accomplished so that we can encourage ourselves and then also look forward and ask us, what's the, what's the one thing? I was talking to a writer friend just yesterday, the day before, and she had all these great ideas. She had a ton of ideas, but they were actually all, I thought, really good ones. Um, I'm like, well, if you went this direction, this and this and this could happen and that would be great. Or if you went this direction, you could do this and this and this, and then you'd have these things and that would be great. But she had so many ideas that I suggested to her. I said, think about what if there was only time to do one thing next year? What would be the one thing that you're most interested in, most excited about, uh, your heart's in it the most, um, perhaps it'll be something that you're the furthest along in a certain project or something like that. Um, that's not always the way to necessarily choose because if your heart's not in it, then it might still be a project that doesn't quite get finished. But figure out what the one thing is. We'll talk more about time management uh, in the next couple of weeks because 
you know, that's something that I love to teach about and talk about and write about. So, uh, and yes, uh, writing a time management book based on my classes has been on my to-do list for a few years. It's just never moved up to the number one spot. So for now, I'll just keep on sharing information on the podcast and other places. But anyway, it's coming up on the end of the year. Lots of things that hopefully you're doing just for the fun of it. And this interview with Nancy Nagel has been so much fun. And it's talking about the writing that she does, the work that she does, and how much fun she's having. So even though we might be thinking about, you know, watching TV and eating and, you know, going to parties and watching fireworks, she is talking about her work with such enthusiasm and joy. It is totally going to spark your imagination and inspire you and motivate you and end the year so well that it actually starts the next year really great. I think you're going to love the episode. Nancy's just absolutely adorable. And if you're watching on YouTube, you've got to check out our awesome Christmas tree that's behind her. Uh, I really want to see all the other uh, Christmas trees. So maybe Nancy will have to post Twitter pictures if she hasn't already. Have a fabulous new year. Happy new year to you wherever you are, whether you're doing what I'm going to do, which is go out in the cold and possible rain. We don't have a lot of snow here in Malmo, Sweden. So, and, uh, and try to see fireworks. I'm told that if I go to Vastrahamnen, and my pronunciation's getting a little bit better, I might be able to see both the fireworks that are being shot in Malmo and across the water. Uh, I know I can't say this very well, the Orasund, something like that, uh, which is the, the water that separates uh, Denmark from Sweden down in this direction. And I'll be able to see the fireworks over Copenhagen as well. So very excited. Hope to not lose any fingers or toes to frostbite. And I know some of you, uh, I've been at the Sydney Opera House during fireworks. Oh my gosh, that's also awesome. But you'll be like, I'm so hot, please help me. <laughs> So wherever you are, have a fabulous time. I'm excited. I'm excited to start the new year. And I'm really excited because I think that Nancy's helping us finish out this year with a big bang. Enjoy. We will talk to you more later. Go drink a lot of water for all of the uh, sugar and other things that you're eating and drinking. <laughs> Remember to hydrate. Have a very great week. We'll talk to you later. Today's guest is Nancy Nagel. USA Today bestselling author Nancy Nagel whips up small town love stories with a dash of suspense and a whole lot of heart. She began her contemporary romance series, Adams Grove, while juggling a successful career as a senior vice president for Bank of America and life on a 76-acre goat farm. Now enjoying an early retirement from the financial industry, she devotes her time to writing, antiquing, trail riding, and the occasional spa day with friends. A native of Virginia Beach, she now calls North Carolina home. Welcome, Nancy. Thanks, Kitty. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Right. I know, right? This is way fun for me because you are officially the author of my most favorite Christmas book ever. Which one is that? Christmas in Evergreen. I love it. I think it's everybody's favorite. You would not believe how many red truck things I have in my house. <laughs> I should have stacked them up for you. People have been sending me red truck stuff. And of course, I was already on the hunt for red truck stuff. But that right. movie, I mean, all you have to do is say, it's the one with the red truck. And people go, oh. <laughs> it's kind of like the adult woman's version of Mater from Cars. Yes, it is. You're right. <laughs> 
Oh, I love it. You know, that was such a cool project for me because, you know, I've written books, you know, for a while now and I've got over 25 out. But when Hallmark contacted me to do the novelization of Christmas in Evergreen, which was a Hallmark original movie, I, I wasn't even quite sure what to think. You know, I was like, well, that's kind of backwards. You know, books, yeah. do, do movies go to books? And um, I really thought it was going to be a piece of cake, you know. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Totally do that. And when I got it, they sent me the script and they sent me the movie and it had just come out. So I had seen it the night before. And oh. so I was excited and revved up as so I was you know, diving right in the next day and I was going to start working on it. And I look at the script and of course it's not in word. It's in a, like a PDF. So I have to figure out how to convert it and I convert it. And then I'm like, okay, I'll just, you know, change all this into dialogue instead of script format formatting no problem but the dust I spent a couple days messing with that well then when I got all that done I realized it was only 20,000 words and I had at least a 65 to 70,000 word book to write (laughs) so it was not nearly as simple as I thought but it was really a cool education because you know writing the book you have to you know, you're, you're describing everything as it's flowing. When you see the movie, you're having to go back and recreate this whole scene and the, it's gorgeous. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, how am I going to do this justice so that people that have not seen the movie get the feeling of that adorable town and the Chris Kringle kitchen and how adorable that Santa Nick is. Oh my gosh. Love that. Santa. <laughs> and um, you, know, you want to do it justice. So it, it definitely was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, but it was so much fun. I had a blast doing that project. Oh, man. So as soon as they said there was going to be a second Christmas and evergreen book, when it was announced last summer, I said, I'll write, I'll write that if you need somebody. <laughs> so I'm actually getting, I'm working on that now. So that'll come out this summer. <laughs> now, so is that going to be the same thing where they wrote a script first and they want you to novelize it? Yeah. So Christmas and Evergreen, Letters to Santa just came out this season on Countdown to Christmas. And it has the truck in it. And uh, <laughs> it's a de- whole different story, some different characters, but some return as well. And um, yeah, so it came out this, this winter. I'm writing the book now. It'll come out in June in time for Christmas in July. So I'm excited. Then I'll have two. I can't, I have no idea what the cover is going to look like. This cover is just amazing. I yeah, love if you're, this cover. <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, it's just the cutest cover. You know, we've got this really old uh, red pickup truck, kind of, you know, the kind your grandpa might have or something. And then we've got the, the lit up decorated yard and house and it's gorgeous. So, it was so cute. Um, my fiance has a six-year-old son and he is in kindergarten and his teacher, we had a big snow about a week ago and his teacher sent home this canvas where she and her daughter, while they were snowed in, painted a picture of the red truck for me. Uh And I was just blown away. It was adorable. And it was funny because when I sent her my thank you note, she sent me back a note and she said, yeah, Luke mentioned that it was supposed to have a wreath on the front. (laughs) So even Luke picked up on I said, oh, it's okay. You don't have to have that wreath on the front. <laughs> oh. So did, did he decide that, um, that dad needed to put a wreath on, on the front of his vehicle? Your, oh, your yeah, yeah, vehicle? absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have Christmas and Evergreen sitting on my shelf next to the DVD 
uh, I have the book next to the DVD, and then I have the Hallmark keepsake ornament of the truck. Oh, really? So it even has the little tree in the back. And then um, that came out in the summer. And then in October, they had the Kris Kringle kitchen uh, come out as a Hallmark keepsake collectible. So I have that whole little collection. And I just, I'm so tickled to have been a part of that. I mean, it is absolutely a wonderful, heartwarming movie. I'm, I love those characters. So yeah, that's been a good part of my year. <laughs> No doubt. Well, and so I can see because uh, you and I are doing a interview on video. So the people who watch like to watch on YouTube can see it. You've got your gorgeously decorated Christmas tree right behind your desk. <laughs> I went crazy this year. Absolutely crazy. So yeah. Christmas Joy came out on Hallmark. It was going to premiere on November 3rd. And Hope, and Hope at Christmas premiered on November 22nd. Well, mm -hmm. I was invited to be on Home and Family on November 2nd. So I wanted to decorate for my premiere party, but I knew I was going to be going away to Los Angeles. So my guy, my mom, my friends and I got together the week before that. So before Halloween, I had three trees in the house and three <laughs> trees on the front porch. <laughs> oh my gosh. And Andrew was still putting up lights when I was in California. So there were lights up the driveway and lights across the front of the house. The trees on the front uh, porch, we had two green ones and then this crazy white tree that I bought off of eBay and with all red ornaments on it. So the front porch was just so festive. And then when you come in, I had this tree behind me, which is my, um, it's got garland that is little mittens and stockings. And the oh. mitten, my, fa my favorite uh, Hallmark movie is the Christmas ornament. And um, it's, a, you know, a widower's story and she finds a new beginning and it's so lovely. And um, Cameron Matheson is, is the hunk in that movie. Uh, but he gives her a wreath of gloves because she's always losing her gloves. And that is so sweet. So, but this is my red truck and mitten uh, tree. And it's got mostly red and white stuff on it. And I just love it. It's a lot of fun. And then I've got a Western tree in my den. Oh. And that's where I usually do all my writing. I used to have an office, but I found that I never sat in it. So now I just write in the den in my favorite cozy leather chair. And tree, the Western tree has nothing but Western ornaments on it. We've got, I mean, here's one of my favorites. I brought a couple of them out. Like this horseshoe. Oh. My stepdaughter gave that to me a few years back. And it's, it's a little worse for wear. Some of the paint's coming off, but I just love it. And she is special to me. So it is. And then like this little horse from Colorado. Oh, my girlfriends, three girlfriends and I loaded up into a Ford Expedition and drove from North Carolina across country and did a three-week trip, went trail riding, went to Pikes Peak, and it's a little horse from Colorado. So every, every ornament on that tree is something to do with Western lifestyle, spurs yeah. and stuff. And I used bandanas. I tied bandanas like a bandit. Oh around it to do the garland and it turned out so cute i'm really tickled with that one and then oh my gosh in my living room this is the first time i've done a really fancy tree in my living room it's that kind of pinkish gold you know that burnt gold color oh yeah and, and uh it's i've got you know pearls on it and feathers and uh, big gold <laughs> ribbons and it is just fancy it looks like a Looks like a princess lives here. 
awesome. <laughs> absolutely crazy. And as at first I was like, oh my gosh, the neighbors are going to think I'm crazy. And I am, but that's okay. And I'll tell you, it has been such a delight to have the trees here for so long. And here it is in December and I'm shopping and trying to figure out what I'm going to bake. And I don't have to worry about the decorating. It really has been pretty nice. I might (laughs) be putting these things up on Halloween next year. (laughs) (laughs) Now, do any of your neighbors understand the significance of why you're doing it so early this year? They do. Some of them came over for the premiere party, so that was a lot of fun, and they're really supportive. I'm sure the people that are further down the road have no idea and think I'm just nuts, and that's okay. In fact, um, his birthday, he turned six on October 30th, and uh, <laughs> I had turned on all the lights on the house for he and his little friends to see as they were going to be leaving, and um, I went out to turn the lights off that night, and there were people sitting in my driveway looking at the lights. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, you know, they might think I'm crazy, but they enjoyed it too. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, maybe you guys should do some sort of like a best Christmas decorations thing so that you can be like, I think I should win. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> it might be like stacking the deck. <laughs> maybe a little bit. <laughs> oh man. Wow. What an adventure. It has been an adventure. It's been a really exciting year. And, you know, I have been a huge Hallmark fan forever. And yeah. so being able to work with Hallmark and have two of my novels, you know, turn into movies has been truly a dream come true for me. And yeah. I'm just so honored and, and happy to be a part of that Hallmark brand and family. I I just, I, it makes me cry every time I talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I met uh, Stacey Donovan, the director and, and head editor, you know, at RWA in Denver this year. Yeah. She's awesome. Oh my gosh. I love her. And then um, she graciously agreed to be a guest on the podcast and we did two back-to-back uh, interviews so we could talk about her life as an author as well. Right. Exactly. Right? Busy lady. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't know how she gets it all done, but <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so fun. And it was so hard not to. And so I... I can't say that I actually tried, but when I first met her, I was like, yeah, so I've been reading every single Hallmark card in the Hallmark store ever since I was like 12. And I got my first Hallmark card as soon as they had like the Hallmark Gold Crown Club, you know, card thing. And I do this and I buy this and I have that. And and I know this doesn't have anything to do with publishing, but I love Hallmark. I know the feeling. I totally know the feeling. And I mean, I've got a a box of those new little pop-up cards that they've got. Those are so cute. Oh, really? Yes, they're like three-dimensional and they kind of pop up. Oh, yeah. And they're always coming out with something new and innovative and beautiful and gift-worthy, you know? Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, I get the I get the emails. Uh, so I've I've seen things like in a two dimensional picture, but yeah. uh, I've been living in Sweden for the last eight months. So no, I want to be interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> Come on over. We'll oh, interview you face to face for your next one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's how I ended up writing a book with Alaska in it. I visited Alaska, so right. maybe. Come to your backyard. <laughs> no, there are so many reasons why you could put Sweden in the book, even though it needs to be set in the U.S. I mean, I'm sure that we can think of some really good, you know, tax deductible research reasons. <laughs> I'm sure we are crazy after all. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right. Now, so at any point during the 
interview, feel free to toss out like, oh, and I would really suggest, you know, to other writers, blah, 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 because I learned this and this. So definitely people are going to want to hear tips, but also your entertaining stories are also fabulous. So, so let's see if we can back up a little bit, start at the beginning, give us the 30,000 foot view of uh, where did you start as a writer? You've got a lot of books out. A lot of them seem to be Christmassy, or maybe I just happen to be noticing those at this time of year. But let's uh, let's bring it back to the beginning a little bit. Tell us how you got to here. Yeah, well, and this this will be for anybody who thinks they have a book in their heart. I think hopefully this will give you a good feeling that it's never too late to start. Um, I'm not one of those people that thought they were going to be a writer their whole life. Um, I was a senior vice president with Bank of America, and had a great career and I used to dabble and write stories back when I started programming it used to take like an hour and a half for programs to compile right right and so you would do your program and then you would sit and you'd wait for like an hour and a half for it to compile for it to tell you that you made a mistake and you're gonna have to fix it and do it again and yeah. so my mom is a songwriter and a poet so she always wrote and she always had you know, tons of spiral notebooks and she's always writing. So I think, you know, writing to pass the time was kind of a natural thing for me. Um, but yeah, I did not decide that I was going to try to write a book until I turned 40. The year I turned 40, my job included um, the big opportunity um, to, to take a stretch opportunity to, to ship jobs offshore. So my job was to find what kind of technology um, you know, efforts that we could outsource to India. And it was absolutely the right thing for the company. Um, and it was the right business move. But for me personally, it just did not feel good. And I thought, you know, this is not what I want to be known for. And so I did some big soul searching. And I think we all do when we're turned 40, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm getting old. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And I, but I really, it, you know, I really started thinking what has made a bit big difference in my life. And you know, as I started soul searching, of course, I've always been a huge reader, but any time that I had, you know, a tough time in my life personally or at work when I was you know, so stressed out, I would always grab books. And I thought, you know, the person that has affected me the most was Jane Ann Krentz. She's gotten me through a divorce. She's gotten me through bad work projects. She's gotten me through deadlines. I mean, just because of her books. And I have two rows of just nothing but her books still on my shelf. <laughs> You know, from years ago, they're tattered and, you know, messy. And I thought, you know, if I could write one book that would make one person feel better one day, then that's worth it. That would be worth yeah. it. And so, of course, I had no idea that, like, like everybody in the world wanted to write a book. And I, it was really hard to get published. No idea. Just thinking, oh, I write a book. So um, I wrote a book, and it was a hot mess. I didn't have... I didn't even know where the quotes were supposed to go, I don't think. <laughs> but uh, I did, I joined RWA and I went to a conference in Atlanta. It was so overwhelming that I walked out and saw those like 3,000 women and then went straight back to my room and thought, what the heck am I doing? Using my vacation to come here. And yeah. I and sat through those sessions and just absorbed everything around me and uh, met some really nice ladies. They gave me some good tips, you know, to follow my heart, listen to myself, get some friends, but don't take everybody's advice too seriously. And I, you know, and they also told me to enter contests. 
So I, I think after that um, conference, I was a little better armed to actually follow the dream of writing a book. Yeah. And I sat down and really started tearing that book apart and I started entering in contests and realizing just how bad it was <laughs> and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. And it took me nine years to get Sweet Tea and Secrets published. And the, the book, the original book that I wrote was As Luck Would Have It. And I will tell you that a little piece of As Luck Would Have It is in all six of the Adams Grove novels. Right. <laughs> the first book had like everything in the world in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it had a car chase. It had a bad guy. It had, you know, I mean, <laughs> dogs, cats, murder, <laughs> you name <Right>. it. <laughs> <laughs> reunion <laughs> yeah right so it was a hot mess um but yeah so that's how I I got started and I actually sold Sweet Tea and Secrets to a small press at first um and it came out and it didn't do much and the small press didn't have a lot of uh, bandwidth and so I ended up asking for my rights back and I, earlier that year I had gone to BookCon and Montlake Romance was there and they were just starting to launch their publishing line Amazon Publishing and I had talked to them not because I was looking for a deal just because I was curious you know what's your business model where are things going and um, we hit it off and of course I talked about my goat farm and I had little <laughs> and little organza bags that had a card with sweet tea and secrets in it and then two pieces of sweet tea candy in a tea bag. And I was nice. giving those out to everybody. And so I gave them to the folks at Montlake. And um, when I got my rights back, I contacted them and said, hey, got my rights back. Don't know if you might ever want to do some work together, but let me know. And darn if they didn't contact me back. And they bought Sweet Tea and Secrets and Out of Focus that year. So oh. we booked deal out of the gate. Um, and it just hasn't ever stopped. You know, I, oh. I wrote the six book uh, Adams Grove series and that that's kind of like a romantic mystery series. It's got a little bit of suspense thread in each of the books. They're all small town stories and really great. My favorites of that whole series are Out of Focus and Pecan Pie and Deadly Lies. They feature <laughs> the super hot country music guy. <laughs> He is just so wonderful. If he was real, he would be so mine, or I'd be a stalker. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, so maybe it's good that he's not real. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You know, I mean, jail would be a harder place to write books. So you know, I look bad in orange, <laughs> so it would not be good. <laughs> and tell me they're so out. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, they're back in. <laughs> So yeah, so I, that was the first series that I wrote. It was kind of romantic mystery. Um, and then I started really realizing what my voice was. Um, in the, the fifth and sixth books of the Adams Grove series have a much heavier mystery line to them. And they're even a little dark. Um, and I, but they're light dark, you know? <laughs> my yeah, voice yeah. is not tough enough to carry that off. So uh, I started realizing that I had, you know, a softer, fresher voice and started writing the stories that were really in my heart, not what I was trying to plot. And so I think it took me those first six books to kind of get that feel. Yeah. Um, then, I, then I read the Boot Creek series and that is more women's fiction and uh, life after perfect. Um, I wrote while my husband was um, diagnosed with cancer and, and lost a very short battle in 2014. And that came out right after that. So I wrote, was writing that book during that time. And so there's a lot of emotion and, and stuff in that book that was helping me deal with my life at that time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you. Oh, man. So it feels like I do a lot of Christmas books, though, because the last books that I've written the last couple years really have been all Christmas. I mean, St. Martin's Press brought me on to do a heartwarming holiday story, and that, that was where Christmas Joy came in. And Aww. here's the, for people on the YouTube, the original cover is this beautiful red cover. And then when the movie came out, they put out this mass market that just came out this year. Um, that is so cute with the little couple on the front. And they're both great covers. covers. They are. I, I don't know which one I love best. I know. Probably the red one though. I like the first, <laughs> my favorite color. Um, nice. But I wrote Christmas Joy and Hope at Christmas for St. Martin's Press. And then this year, Dear Santa came out, which is um, you know, like a holiday retelling of You've Got Mail. And uh, that was super fun to write. <laughs> oh, I bet. I do remember reading, I think on your website, kind of the uh, back cover copy of it. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I really it like is You've Got so Mail. so fun. Well, it's funny because that was not the book that I had pitched as the book I was going to write for the contract and my editor had just come back from vacation in Myrtle Beach and she said you know there are these awesome stores with year-round Christmas stuff at the beach and I said yeah you know because I grew up in Virginia Beach I was like yeah almost every beach has them and she said wouldn't it be fun if we did like a retelling of you've got mail I was like heck yeah it would we can do that <laughs> so uh, so that was kind of how that story idea even came up my editor and I just chatting about her vacation from Myrtle Beach and nice. uh, glad she had it because I had a great time writing those characters and that store in the decommissioned lighthouse. Oh my God. <laughs> it is so lush. And I mean, I can, I can see all those pretty, you know, the village pieces up on that uh, bookcase that her grandfather had built and oh, just the heirloom ornaments. Some of them have been there 25 years, you know, when they're still sitting there, but uh, yeah, I, I love that story. <laughs> All right, so so this one we're going to go the opposite direction. This one you came up with the story idea, wrote the book, loved it, and then someone got in touch with you and said Hallmark is interested. Yeah, Christmas Joy um, was the first one. So uh, yeah, they uh, Crown Media contacted my agent and said they were interested in seeing Christmas Joy, and they optioned it. And then it took about a year. Yeah. Uh, and it was funny because my you know, agent was like, don't get too excited. You know, lots of things get optioned. They don't all, you know, go to movies. I was like, okay. But, you know, I'm a huge Hallmark fan. I'm like, oh, I got optioned. Who cares? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then when they called, it was it, my, uh, my agent called on Valentine's Day. I was sitting out on the deck with Andrew. He was... Um, he had poured us glasses of Pinot Noir and was making steaks on the grill and my phone rings and I'm like, it's Valentine's day. And, uh, he's like, who is it? And I'm like, it's my agent. And he goes, well, you have to pick it up. And I was like, you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm like, so I answer. And Kevin said, I would never, ever, ever call you on Valentine's day, but we just got a call from Hallmark and yeah, they're, they're going to do the movie. And so, uh, that was a pretty big special day certainly overshadowed his, his Valentine's Day. <laughs> Sorry to ruin <laughs> Valentine's Day. <laughs> but we celebrated big time. It was, it was oh, very exciting. And, um, and then it, you know, it was the following year that we actually, I got to go to set and watch them film Christmas Joy. And it was funny because, you know, everybody always asks, well, how much control do you have over the movie? And I don't have any control. Not that I even tried, though. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe you can have control. I didn't even try. I knew out of the gate there wasn't a Hallmark movie 
I met that I didn't love. So right. I, they could do whatever they wanted. I knew it was going to be heartwarming, family centric, community driven. You know, I would laugh, I would cry. I, I knew it would be fine. And, and of course it was. I mean, Christmas joy is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, the balsam hill trees, and maybe that's kind of why I went crazy, right? <laughs> Right. <laughs> because when I was in Vancouver on set, I was just walking around like, oh my word, these are gorgeous. <laughs> well, and so I was wondering how much of um, the movie, when you saw the final product, because um, I remember the first time that I saw just the first rough cut for a film that I'd worked on and I was like, oh man, this film is going to tank. It's horrible. But you just don't realize you don't realize how much more editing and more color and music and stuff like make the film into a film. Uh, so, so aside from, aside from what you saw on set, what was it like to sit in your living room and think, Oh wow, that's just like what I pictured in my head, or that's not at all like what I pictured in my head, but I love it. Or tell yeah. us about that. Well, I, I saw, it was interesting because when I went on set, the, my very favorite scene of the book was the one they were filming. I mean, it was it couldn't have been oh. more perfect, you know, when the ornament, breaks I mean it's just a really tender moment and so I mean I sat there and just cried you know, oh. cried on set and I was like I'm so sorry they're like it's okay um so I didn't see the I didn't see like a draft cut I didn't get a copy until it was totally done yeah and um I had actually just come home from my second trip to Vancouver to watch Hope at Christmas get filmed and I came home with pneumonia and oh. um I was, and I had sent uh, the Gallup Crown Media a note and was asking if the uh, Carolina Panthers Stadium gingerbread house made it into the movie because I wanted to write something about it, but I didn't know if it was in the movie or not. And so she sent me a note back and she said, it is, but instead of just telling you, I'm sending you the movie. And so I, I got to see it that week and I grabbed my mom. My mom lives with me. When my husband passed away, I sold the farm and moved to North Carolina and moved her in with me, which I just love having her nearby. And I grabbed my mom and I said, I've got Christmas joy. And we sat on the couch. I have a couch at the end of my bed in the bedroom. And we sat there sitting together with my laptop and started watching it. And it was amazing. I mean, I knew it could, when I went to set, um, I had gifts for everybody because I was excited. You know, a little taste in North Carolina. I had Dewey's cookies and Black Mountain chocolate and, you know, a signed book. And so I, like, had all these bags. I looked like the bag lady coming in. Yeah. And, uh, I'm Southern. That's what we do. And <laughs> right. And one of the gifts was um, a special one because it was for Molly, the little girl in the book. And I love Molly in the book. And um, I had found on Etsy someone that hand-painted lunch bags with, and with rabbits on it, which like in the book, like she mentioned that first scene when she comes in, she's got that little a lunch bag that, um, you know, had been hand-painted with the bunny on it. And I'm like, well, who's playing Molly? And they're like, there's no Molly. I was like, oh... <laughs> Oh. I was really disappointed when I first found out Molly wasn't in the movie. Yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, I get it now that you can't fit 90,000 words into a 20,000 word script. Yeah. And they, they eloquently got around all the Molly stuff. I think, I think readers who see, I think people that see the movie and then read the book are going to be super delighted though, because I think um, 
just the whole dynamics about Ben and Joy with the little girl, because neither one of them are parents or, you know, I, I think that they'll be really excited to feel that growth and what that little girl brings to those scenes. And like when and they have the flower and it's the snowflake kisses. I mean, I love that. <laughs> so oh, that's so there wasn't anything that I was disappointed in at all in that movie. I, I I laughed and I cried. And when I sat and watched that last part, my mom and I are just sitting at the end and then they pan up to the sky and there's that green star. We both went, oh, <laughs> so that was pretty cool. <laughs> oh man. Now listen, I know that, um, on the one hand, <clears throat> the chances of having your book made into a movie are ridiculously, they're so close to zero that it's almost zero. Um, on the other hand, because Hallmark now has Hallmark Publishing, and uh, now there is a much stronger chance that original novels published through Hallmark Publishing may be picked up and made into Hallmark movies. Now that you've gone both directions, you've written books that have become Hallmark movies and you've taken Hallmark movies and written them into books. Give us some uh, things that you learned, things that might be helpful to other writers who are going to send an original manuscript to Hallmark Publishing um, that they hope you know will be picked up. Is there anything that you learned that you're like, I shouldn't have done it this way because they can't film it. Or um, I should never have changed this because the book needs to be the book and the film people will figure it out if they do a film. Tell us what, what you've learned from these experiences. Yeah, I, I, I think you need to stick to the book and not think about the film so much. I mean, the story has to hold its own and, and that's the product. And I think uh, advice for people that are, are trying to write a Hallmark book, and my first Hallmark novel will come out February 12th, The Secret Ingredient. Yes, I am waiting for the pre-order. I think, is the pre-order up now? I think it's it is. Up. It's up, yeah, it's yes. up. Um, <laughs> but, but I think if you're writing for that, I think you really need to be sure that, you know, you know what the Hallmark brand is, um, and you want to keep that in mind through the whole story because there are certain things. I mean, I, I pitched a few stories that they were like, mm -mm, no, can't do it. And I thought they were awesome stories, but yeah. like one, one had, um, was around a dog show. And of course, Hallmark is very involved with you know, pet adoption. And because it was a dog show, you know, they were like, uh, uh, no, no, we don't, we're not gonna, you know, promote that. And I thought, well, it could be a mutt show, <laughs> but it was like, as soon as, the, as, soon as it, kind of clicked that nope that no meter it just was off the charts so i think because no, because it didn't fit their brand so, so i don't apparently know that much about dog shows so there's something about dog shows is, is it dog well, shows promote overbreeding of I, dogs I guess. well and because they're they're always promoting the adoption side so, so they wanted think, it to be more homey yeah. so okay. just, just i guess it wouldn't conflict with the adoption side and they're so good about you know bringing those pets on the show and and helping people remember there's so many you know little puppies and kitties out there without homes um so yeah i think you know know the brand um and you know there's there's no room for a lot of conflict um the conflict really has to be light yeah you know, in, in Hope at Christmas, uh, I thought that was um, kind of the perfect Hallmark book, and it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the book, 
Um, and as I guess this might be a little bit of a spoiler, but in the book, B, who owns the bookstore, is a real old lady. Um, and, and she's kind of looking for that legacy person that's going to take over her store for her. And so um, Sydney ends up kind of being the angel that comes in and, and takes that on to the next generation. And B dies in the book. Um, and the gal at Crown Media, you know, went to Bill Abbott and said, oh, but it's so tastefully done. And they're like, uh-uh, we're not, you're not killing her off <laughs> on Hallmark. <laughs> <laughs> and I did get one letter from a lady um, a few weeks ago that said, I should have put a warning in the front of the book that said, nice people might not make it to the end. Um, oh. You know, I mean, I felt terrible because she was really, she's like, she was emotionally scarred, I think. And um, oh. I said, you know, she was an old woman and it was, it was a good thing that she was being able to, you know, have her, her legacy carry on. So, you know, I asked her to read the last chapter and see how they handled all that, but I don't know if she did or not. So I think Hallmark made the right call on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in, in, in that book too, I had um, two divorced parents and for me and the story, it was great because, you know, he's the father of a son. She's the father of a daughter. They're both dealing with different kinds of single parent issues. And for me, that was really interesting. Um, but that's a lot of heaviness, you know, in a Hallmark movie. So, you know, just kind of keep that in mind, you know, how heavy things are. You know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, they want to bring, you know, certainly there's conflict. There's, there's things that have to get you know, hurdles that have to get over, but they're also a little lighter. You know, they're not going to make somebody think, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's me. Yeah, um, yeah. So think romantic comedy side rather than women's fiction side. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And of course, they're getting a little more um, dramatic on the Hallmark movies and mystery side. And I think they're changing all the time to, you know, meet the market and yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't have any really good advice. I mean, I, I think I got lucky. I didn't pitch this book. I didn't pitch Christmas Joy to them. Um, I actually think I got the deal because of a tweet. <laughs> Somebody found me. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a whole lot of luck involved. Yeah, as is <laughs> often the case, you know. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so, so you've got um, – You've got, let me just think it through, uh, two books that are actually St. Martin's books, the Hallmark uh, movies, Hallmark Channel bought the rights to make the movies. And then you've got two books that Hallmark Publishing hired you to write based on Hallmark movies. Okay. And then so February is the first original book by you published first and only by Hallmark Publishing. Yes. Yes. All right. That one's the secret ingredient. And... um... It is a reunion romance, small town, but it ends up in New York City. So you're going to get contrast there. And it centers around a baking competition. Um, I'm really excited, too, because my heroine in that book has an unusual pet. She has a micro pig. (laughs) I've never even heard of a micro pig. She has a little little pig as a pet. And uh, so I'm excited about that because he's really cute and different and fun. And uh, I think he brings a lot of lightness to the story. (laughs) Now, I have to ask, since you lived on a goat farm, have you put goats in some of your books? Almost every book has a mention of a goat somewhere. And in fact, Christmas Angels that I just turned in, 
um, I, my mom said, did you get the goat in? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, oh, I did. Because I said, oh, when you go around this curve, there used to be a herd of goats over there. So I mean, <laughs> it happens automatically. Um, I don't really have to think about it, but it's either a comment or, or sometimes the actual goat shows up. But yeah, we had 80 acres of goats. My husband was a goat farmer and wow. uh, it was a fabulous lifestyle you know I mean they're like puppies you know you go out and go hey girls and all of them run to you and uh, kidding season since we had 500 goats on the farm and uh, in kidding season you know you might have 50 or 75 in a day and oh the mama would get confused on whose was whose which was okay because uh, my husband would if someone had triplets or quads Oh, that's really nice, but they only have two faucets. So yeah. he would steal the babies and give them to other moms. And they, they were so confused. They didn't know. So we're oh <laughs> what a life. <laughs> it was great. You know, we did a lot with the 4-H. We had kids come out to the farm and, you know, helped yeah. teach them about, you know, animal husbandry and how to care for their animals and show their animals. And yeah, it was a really, really neat part of my life. Yeah. <laughs> My uh, best friend growing up, she had goats on her, um, you know, we lived in, in the woods in Michigan, so uh, I don't know how many acres she had, a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and every once in a while, uh, we'd do a sleepover and I would wake up and there would be a kid in my sleeping bag. And Julie just thought it was hysterical that I would be like, ah, what's in my sleeping bag? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it was pretty awesome, I have to say. And then, That's you know, so the goat's awesome. milk and the goat's milk fudge and the, oh my God. Oh, goat's milk ice cream. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so if you don't mind, let's, um, let me take this another direction. So you were talking about you really need to know your brand. So there's a lot of people self-publishing, a lot of people traditionally publishing, lots of people doing both. Um, when you are researching where you want to send your book, you know, as far as to an agent or um, your, your agent kind of really makes up the decision about where she or he is going to send your books. But let's say that you're thinking to yourself, I really think that St. Martin's might be, you know, I, I read a lot of their books and I think that this might be a good place for me. What are you thinking as an author when you're thinking, okay, St. Martin's brand versus say Hallmark brand? Yeah. Well, I mean, you definitely have to have a good strategy these days. And, you know, just like your financial portfolio, my <laughs> strategy is to, you know, be sure that I'm diverse, you know, and, and I have my, my products in a lot of different areas. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm just not an all eggs in one basket kind of girl. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, as far as finding the right publisher, I, th I think, you know, looking at the books that you read, looking at those finds and seeing who the books are by is a great start. Um, you definitely want to write for, you know, a publishing house that represents the kinds of stories that you tell, or you could just be kind of lost out there, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll admit that, you know, I have tons of Mira books on my shelf and I haven't written yeah. a Mira book for Harlequin yet. It's on my list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still want to have a book with Mira on the side, you know, um, because I know the kind of stories that they represent. And um, so that's, that's definitely on my list of things to do. My wish list. I would love to write a book for them. I've, I pitched them a million times when I was first writing, but uh since I've been published, I haven't repitched them. So we need to get that back on the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
But you know, for, for new authors, uh, you know, it's, it's tricky. I mean, a lot of the um, houses don't take um, unagented submissions anymore. So, you know, things like your RWA conference or your local chapters, you know, when you have the opportunity to pitch an editor or an agent and those things, that is just great. I mean, that, that is a wonderful way to open doors. And even if it isn't the door that gets you the contract, you end up learning things that help you get the contract. I mean, I remember one of the first um, editors that I ever pitched was Kate Duffy at Kensington. All right. Yes, she's passed away long ago, but what a wonderful woman. And she gave me a lot of really good advice just in those few minutes that we chatted. And I remember her saying to me, and I think this is what turned the corner for me went from as luck would have it to actually Sweet Tea and Secrets That Sold. She said to me, That sounds really good, but I'm going to tell you that a lot of first-time authors make the same mistake. They try to do everything in one book. Simplify that. Simplify it, Nancy. You're going to be, I like your voice. You're going to be, you're going to do it. And it was, it was interesting because at first I didn't really know what that meant. And I was like, okay. But, you know, I kind of pondered and it took me a while to really figure out what she meant by the the advice, but it was awesome. So, you know, listen to what people have to say to you. Um, You know, don't get your feelings hurt. It's tough. I keep keep my big folder of rejections right in my left-hand side of my desk drawer. So I will never forget, you know, how much time and sweat and sorrow, you know, I put into getting that first book out. Um, because, you know, it's hard. There's a lot of people and a lot of talent and a lot of really talented people that aren't, you know, getting picked up too. So luck is still a part of it. I think uh, being genuine is a big part of it, you know? And I used to tell um, my mom, I said, you know what I think the secret is? I think the secret's not giving up. (laughs) I think it's (laughs) tenacious. It's like not when it, if it'll happen, it's when it'll happen. Like if you just will not give up, eventually your turn comes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was in a screenwriting program in 1999 and it had a bunch of people who were um, currently working on, you know, big shows and movies in Hollywood. And uh, I think two or three people basically said the same advice, but one of them said it this way. They said, look at it as a little bit like musical chairs. You've just got to be the last person standing because other people are going to quit. They're going to give up and then it'll be your turn. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I honestly believe that is true. I do. Um, I mean, I know I'm not the best writer out there, um, you know, but I've got stories to tell and I tell them because I, because I want to, and because I want to make somebody smile. And I think that's a, a good legitimate reason. And so that's, that's my brand. That's, that's my goal. That's all I'm going to do and let the rest of it just take care of itself. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, I was teaching a writing class a couple of weeks ago at my church and just kind of uh, letting my, my spiritual side kind of go because it was at church. So I yeah. thought, you know, I, I don't have to put any fences and boundaries and try not to offend. I can just say what I'm really trying to say. And um, I was uh, showing them a clip from a comedian named Michael Jr., uh-huh. cracks me up. This guy is hysterical. I think he's hysterical. He hits my brand of humor. Oh, and uh, he had this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, Michael Jr. on YouTube. I just okay. think he's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there's, he's got this one bit. It was the first thing that I ever uh, saw of him called Oversaved. And oh, my gosh, I, I was crying. I was laughing so hard. I'm like, I know those people. <laughs> 
But so I showed the class this clip where he's talking about this guy in the audience and he asked him, you know, uh, I, I hear that you're like a music teacher. So sing us a little something. And the guy had an amazing voice, like so gorgeous. He's like, okay, now tell a, you know, sing it again, but you know, and then he's like kind of describing, and I thought he was asking the guy like sing it differently as if, you know, um, you were making up a different tune or something, but the guy understood what Michael Jr. was really saying. And then, so he sang the song again. And this time he was like getting a standing ovation because his voice just started doing all these things that brought out all this emotion, like in him, in his face, in the listener, like you're just getting all choked up because it's so beautiful. And then after Michael Jr. is showing these clips, he's like, that's the difference between knowing what you're doing and knowing why you're doing it. And I'm thinking, that's what you just said. And I didn't even know I said that. You know, and it's, it's interesting. Maybe, you know, I thought I was a really bad singer. Maybe I could be a good singer if I could let it go (laughs) because it's, you know, you're always like, how do I look? Is my mouth open too big? You know, (laughs) yes. And you know, if you watch somebody who can really sing, I mean, they don't, they're just, they're just in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. Well, you know, because I wanted people to really think about what you just said, which is you just really wanted to entertain at least one person, make somebody have a better day. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's underrated. I mean, a, a gentle hello and a smile at the grocery store. I mean, it's made a difference in my life before. Yeah. You know? So try to be sure that I'm doing that too. Cause, uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there. We're all living at, you know, five times the speed of light, I think. Right. We're all tired. We're all juggling things. You know, I think the stress is, is big. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world. Yeah. And, um, yeah, sometimes it's hard to keep it in perspective. You know, yeah. what's what really does make a difference. And uh, so, yeah, a little bit of kindness goes a long way. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind, I would like to help you promote my favorite Christmas book, Christmas and Evergreen, because um, right now, so this episode comes out on December 27th, 2018, and I'm almost positive that it's still going to be an active promotion. But right now, Hallmark is giving away a free ebook copy of your book to you and a friend. So yes. tell us a little bit about that promotion. I wrote down the URL so that we can say it out loud to everybody. Awesome. I think it's pretty easy. I think it's hallmarkchannel.com slash free book, right? It is. <laughs> yes. Hallmark. And especially if you've never read one of my books, um, you can get it for free in digital uh, format, any digital format. Uh, you just go there. You can get a copy for yourself and send a copy to a friend. I absolutely love that. It's the perfect time of year to do it. And, you know, it doesn't have to be somebody that has an e-reader. They can download the Kindle app on anything, their phone, their computer, their iPad. Who doesn't have a computer these days? So, yeah, yeah take advantage of that. It is such a beautiful story. I can only take credit for writing the novel. I did not write that story. Hallmark did. It is beautiful, 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 and uh, just really heartwarming. It'll put you in the Christmas spirit, if nothing else will. I mean, even just that she drives her grandpa's truck, you know, it's just that little little moments that remind you, you know, it's it's family. It's those little things that matter. So, yeah, I hope people will pick that up and take a read and send a copy to their friend. And, 
and give us a shout. Let us know what you think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is a lot of activity um, by Hallmark and a lot of Hallmark authors on Twitter. And I see that you're on there. Are you fairly active? I'm fairly active on Twitter and yeah, and Instagram and Facebook too. I'm yeah. easy to find. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Nancy Nagel, which is N-A-I-G-L-E, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, definitely send Nancy a tweet and tell her what you thought of her book. I know that she reads your tweets because uh, I bought her book, Christmas in Evergreen, in July because I was like, oh, Hallmark has got this new Hallmark publishing and I should do some research. So I'll buy this book. And then I was like, I love this book. Then it was months went by before there was this big promotion and the Hallmark Channel and Hallmark Publishing were promoting the movie and the book together. And if you watch the movie, then there'd be this like message at the end of the movie as to how to get a free copy of the book. And I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I was in the United States, but I'm in Sweden. There's no way for me to watch it. Bummer. And then I started like looking on different, like uh, looking on the website about the book and stuff. And then I was like, that book looks so familiar. And I went to my Kindle. I had bought it and read it three months before. And I'm like, oh, that's that book I love. And then I had to go back, Nancy Nagel, I already own your book. And it's now my favorite Christmas book. So feel free to embarrass yourself as well. I, I did. And I don't know why it embarrassed you. It absolutely made my day. So <laughs> I appreciate it. And I do. I read them all. I read all the emails that come through too. And, uh, they, you know, they make my day and right. it's scary, you know, writing a book, you know, it, it's comes from your heart. It comes from, you know, your experiences and you're throwing something out there that not everybody's going to like. There is no way you can put something out there that everybody's going to like. And yeah. so when you put a book out there, it's scary to get those first reviews. I mean, the secret ingredient just went up on NetGalley for reviewers um, last week, I think it was, about a week and a half ago. And so we're just now starting to see some reviews. I mean, and I am nervous when people are sending those things in. I'm like, what are they going to see? Because what I see is going to be totally different from what you see. Right. And I think... You know, people read books. You can read a book at a different time of your life and get a whole different thing out of it, right? right. Yeah. yeah. So you just don't know what's going to touch a nerve. I mean, what I always hope is that I've given you just enough information that it's going to tickle a memory. You know, that it's going to spark something that you feel like is personal to you. That I haven't given you so much information that you're like, well, that's not like my Aunt Millie, you know, because yeah. I've just over-described it. So I'm hoping to give you just enough information that you're going to connect with something that makes you happy or, or just uh, sparks an emotion. Maybe it's not a happy emotion, but it's something you need. And uh, so, yeah, those, those early reviews are scary. <laughs> and I mean, 25 28. I don't even know how many books I've got now, but yeah, they're still scary every single time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, this has been so much fun. I still like have this mental list of things I'd love to ask you, but we're running out of time. So oh, we'll do uh, it again someday. <laughs> yes, let's do it. We might have to talk about February books and that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, so let us know where can readers find out more about you and your books? Well, I have a website, nancynagel.com. Super easy to find. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And I even have Pinterest boards for every one of my books. So if you're oh. curious what things I was looking up while I was writing the book, you can go out to Pinterest and everything's under just Nancy Nagel, N-A-N-C-Y-N-A-I-G-L-E. And, and you get a little whiff of what I do. Um, but all my books are available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. If you're in the U.S., um, 
the Christmas books are on the shelves at Target and Sam's Club and Walmart and um, pretty easy to find. Ask your librarians to order them in for your library. I love libraries. Um, yeah, me too. So, yeah, so don't forget that. That way even more people can check them out and read them. Aw, thank you so much for taking the time to share your yourself and your stories and your Christmas experiences <laughs> with us. Thank you, Kitty. I'm so glad that you looked me up. This has been just a blast. <laughs> I might really show up in Sweden. <laughs> awesome. Come on over. <laughs> <laughs>